Welcome to today's training, Public Speaking Made Easy. I'm John Terry, and I want to say thanks for joining me. We're going to talk today about one of the greatest fears in humanity today, and that's the fear of public speaking. In fact, 75% of Americans recently surveyed said they were more afraid of speaking on a stage than they were of dying. Public speaking and the fear of that even has its own anxiety disorder name in the field of dealing with disorders and anxieties that we deal with. It's called glossophobia. More people today are afraid of speaking in front of other people than they are of dying. Now, that amazes me because every single day, you and I are speaking on a stage in front of other people. Now, you may not realize that, but every day, you are speaking on a stage, whether it's an audience of one or two or 20 or 200, every day we're speaking to other people. And anytime we're speaking to someone else, we're on a stage. Now, it may not be the stage that we think of and that many of us fear. That stage may be the dining room table. It may be a discussion with workmates around a conference table. It might be a Zoom meeting with peers, with customers, or teammates. It might be sharing what we do at a rotary, a chamber, or a networking event. Or it might be speaking from a stage. Whether you realize it or not, every one of us is speaking every single day from a stage. So my question really is, what's all the fuss about? And why are so many people scared of public speaking? Now, maybe you never thought of public speaking this way, but you should. So over the next few minutes that we're going to be together, I want to share some tips to help you gain more confidence as a speaker in a variety of settings. Now, in the event you don't know who I am, let me quickly introduce myself. My name is John Terry, and I'm known as the Black Belt Leader. What do I do? Whether it's helping people learn how to master their life, their leadership, the communication, their mindset, their careers, or helping organizations master their productivity, their sales and marketing, or their team building, I help people become a black belt master at whatever it is that they do. So if you want to become a black belt leader in life, you're in the right place. And in this time we're going to be together, I want to turn our attention to how you scale your results as you discover how to become a more effective, more dynamic personal speaker. So let's get started. Let's start with talking about knowing your audience. Now, if you ever find yourself in a position of speaking in front of a group of people, there's usually a reason that happened. If you've been asked to speak, it's because somebody else believes you've got something to say, some knowledge to impart, or some insight to reveal to those that are going to be listening. Now, that in itself should give you great confidence to realize that someone sees something in you they want other people to see or hear for themselves. Now, the key is to make the presentation, the speech, whatever you want to call it, about the audience. So before you begin, anytime you're invited to speak, you need to give thought to who you're going to be speaking to and what it is they want and they need to take away from the time that you're spent addressing them. Remember, the person who invited you to speak has an agenda. They ask you to speak because they have something they want to accomplish, or they've got a specific outcome they want the audience to experience or learn or realize as a result of spending time listening to you talk. 
So once you've uncovered what your audience wants or needs, now you know what you need to deliver. So if you're there to entertain them, hey, have fun and make them laugh. If you're there to educate them, teach them, and inspire them with your knowledge and your passion for what you do. If you're there to challenge them, then pour your heart and your soul out and rally them to a cause that's greater than by them, than themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, by sharing your own personal stories and invite them to join you on a journey. Now remember, every audience is different. Just like speaking to a room full of kindergartners is different than speaking to a room of people that are graduating from college, every audience is different. So taking the time to understand who your audience is and what they want and need from you can give you great confidence to know what to deliver and what the intended outcome is for your audience. Now, it's pretty obvious, but it's something I often see not done as people are preparing to speak, and that's rehearsing and getting ready to make the presentation. I've heard it said, and I share it in some of the speaking classes I teach, unspectacular preparation is the key to spectacular performance. Now, once you've identified the topic you're going to be speaking on, you know who the audience is you're going to be speaking to, now it's time to put the speech together. And once you've put the speech together, you want to rehearse it because rehearsing it is only going to make it better. So as you're putting your story together, as you're putting your message together, some questions you need to ask yourself is, what do I want the audience to learn? What are the key points I want to deliver and make sure they walk away knowing more than they knew before they heard me? Where do I fit in my personal stories? Where can I move my audience emotionally? What is my call to action at the end of the presentation so they can act on what they've heard? You want to make sure you're preparing your main goals and you want to focus on knowing your key getaways so that you don't walk away after delivering your speech and realize you forgot to hit on a key point. So once you've created your presentation, now you want to practice it. You want to rehearse it multiple times before delivering it. Why? Well, it's pretty obvious there. The more you rehearse your speech, the more comfortable you become with the subject matter. This is going to boost your self-confidence because you're now simply repeating a message you've already delivered multiple times. This is one of the reasons professional speakers appear so good on stage. They are re-delivering, repeating a message they've delivered hundreds of times before. And just like any learned behavior, the more you do something, the more comfortable and the more confident you're going to become at doing it. And speaking is no different. So let me share a tip for rehearsal that can really make it even better. Practice delivering your presentation in different settings, including some settings that have built-in distractions. Practice making your presentation with the TV turned on or with the radio in the background or when you're walking the dog and you're having to be cognizant of traffic and other things going on around you. Learning to present your material in the midst of distraction is going to teach your brain to focus on the subject matter you want to deliver, really honing it down into that part of your brain that you want to be engaged when you're speaking. As you're practicing delivering your content with distractions, you're going to engage the part of your brain known as the reticular activating system which is the part of the brain that helps you filter out distractions and stay focused 
on the main thing. So practicing with distractions allows you to train your reticular activating system to help you stay more focused. Now for me, I've done practice presentation in front of kids at the park, while driving down the road, while hiking with my dogs, anywhere I can put myself in an awkward or different scenario to make a presentation, I do that. Imagine hiking up a 230-foot mountain and doing your presentation. You're struggling to get one foot in front of the other, and you're trying to make your presentation at the same time. That can be uncomfortable, but it allows me to get much better at what I do so that when I'm in front of an audience, I can deliver the goods, and I can deliver them in a great way. Now, it's also important to practice with distractions because you never know when you're going to be put in an uncontrolled environment and asked to speak. Maybe it's a company picnic or an outdoor venue or a facility that's next to a major international airport where I had to speak one time, and every seven minutes, an engine, the roars of the jet engines as the planes were taking off would shake the literal hotel room that I was speaking in that day. It was quite an entertaining moment. Or I remember another scenario with distractions where I was asked to come speak at a restaurant thinking I was going to be speaking in a private room. And the individual that asked me to speak decided to save a few bucks and put me in the main part of the restaurant, sequestered in one corner, while everybody else around me that was not a part of our event was there eating and having their own conversations. Learning to practice with distractions can be a very valuable tool to delivering when distractions occur. Now, if you've got an opportunity to practice your speech in part or in whole, where you're actually going to present your presentation, that is always a plus. Why? Because stages come in different sizes and different configurations. The props that you may want to use may not work if the stage area you're going to be on is small or very large. Your movements may be restricted, or you may now have to move more than you're comfortable moving to be able to engage with the audience on an overly large stage. Now, even if you can't physically get on the stage where you're going to be speaking ahead of time, but if you can get in the room, I love to do a walkthrough of a room prior to the event, sitting in some seats where the audience is going to be sitting, looking at the stage where I'm going to be speaking so I can get the feel of the room from the view of the audience. If I can get into a room, I can pick up on the vibe that that room is giving off, and I get some idea of maybe how I want to stage my presentation to create a better outcome for the audience. If I can get the vantage point of the audience, then I feel like I've got a better understanding of what they want to experience and how they're going to see me on the stage. And then if I can get on the stage after doing that, I now have a vantage point of how I'm going to see them. That can be powerful. One other thing with familiarizing yourself with the environment before I jump to the next slide, it's also a good idea to understand where you're going to be staged prior to speaking to figure out and practice how you're going to come onto the stage and how you're going to exit when you're done so that you don't look the fool walking on or walking off. Now, you also want to take every opportunity to practice in front of an audience before you're speaking in front of your real audience. So rehearsing by yourself can be good. I encourage you to do that. But rehearsing in front of other people is even better. And even if they're not paying full attention, the opportunity to be in front of a group of people is going to allow you to work through the nervousness of being in front of other people. 
It's an opportunity for you to practice, to get more comfortable with your delivery, and at the same time to deal with distractions and interactions of people that may or may not be paying attention to what you're doing. But the idea of practice is this. The more you practice, the more second nature your speech is going to become. It's going to put you in a much more comfortable position because you know what's coming next. And when you know what's coming next and your speech becomes much more comfortable to you, you can now spend more time paying attention to the audience and how they're responding to your message and how they're engaging with you. And when you're more in tune with your audience, you're much more relaxed, you're much more engaging, and now you can connect with your audience in a much more personable level than you did before. Now, one last tip there, and then I want to touch on body language. If in those practice sessions you can have someone videotape what you're doing, you can go back and watch that so that you can look at and listen to your delivery and watch your movements and see whether or not you're fidgeting on stage or you're engaging in movements that's going to be a distraction to your audience. And that brings me to this very next important area of learning to be a public speaker and being an effective, dynamic public speaker. And that's practicing not only your words and your intonation and your tone, but your body language. The words you say are going to be very important, but your body language sends its own message that can be as powerful and sometimes more powerful than the words that you're speaking. In fact, your nonverbal communication is either going to make or break your presentation because what we know from studying human behavior and how people engage in conversation, the vast majority of our conversation that takes place with other people is nonverbal, things other than our words. The last thing your audience wants to see when you're on stage are nervous gestures. They don't want to see you sending nonverbal signals that aren't congruent with the words coming out of your mouth. You're making a positive affirmation statement and your head is shaking no. You're sending a missed message of whether or not you actually agree with what you're saying. And if you don't appear confident on stage, no matter how powerful and convincing your words are, a lack of confidence by being displayed in your poise, your posture, or your movements are going to negate the power of your words. Now, when I'm talking about nonverbal communication, what am I talking about? Your body posture, your movements, and your facial expressions. Now, you want to be expressive on stage, but you want it to be natural. You don't want to look like a mannequin on the stage that never moves, but by the same time, you don't want to be like a young man I recently had an opportunity to be on the stage with. It was one of his first times to speak, and he was like a caged tiger wandering back and forth, back and forth across the stage, never really looking at his audience, but walking back and forth from side to side. As a speaker, you want to stay in the center third of the stage as much as possible so you stay connected with everyone in the audience and turn slightly to the left and slightly to the right to stay engaged but not pace back and forth or not simply be frozen like the tin man without your oil can. Now, remember, too, that nonverbal communication can be a very powerful way to anchor an important point. As you're making a crucial point in your presentation, to lean into the audience can be a very powerful nonverbal signal. 
If you're sharing something that you're inviting the audience to join you in and you extend your arms in a gesture of inclusion, again, another powerful body language signal. You're making a very dramatic point and you go into the Superman pose or some type of power pose. Again, those body movements that reinforce what you're saying can be very valuable. And remember, your nonverbal communication is going to carry a lot of the message you're going to deliver. So give thought to not only the words you're going to say, but your body posture, your movements, and your facial expression so you can engage. Now, remember, your audience is there to see you, not to see you with your eyes glued to a piece of paper. They want to know that you are speaking directly to them, and good speakers understand this. One of the tips I share with new speakers in the speaking classes that I teach is when you walk into the room and you get onto the stage, you want to speak to three specific points in the room. One is in the center of the room between a third and halfway back of the audience. The second is to the right side of the room, again, somewhere between a third and a halfway back. And the third, you guessed it, is the left side of the room, about a third to halfway back. You want to find three specific points that you can look at. Maybe it's a chair or it's a point between two chairs, but you want to fix your sights on these three strategic points as you're speaking from the center third of the stage because when you do that there's a psychological impression it gives the audience that you're looking directly into the eyes of everyone in that section of the room there's something magical about looking at a strategic point in the middle of each of the key sections between a third and halfway back that can make that powerful and even if you never look a single person directly in the eyes Everybody in the audience believes you're looking directly at them. Now, once you get more comfortable with your talk, you can and should start making eye contact with some people in the audience. As they're nodding or they're engaging in some way, you want to acknowledge that. You can crack a joke if you say something and they laugh and nobody else did. That creates a personal impression with that individual, but it also creates an expectation in the audience that if they're engaging, you might single them out and acknowledge them too. This allows the audience to feel like they are a valued part of the presentation, and it's a powerful connection tool that you can use to endear them to your audience. Again, remember, they don't want to see you staring off blindly in the distance or, at worst, reading your speech verbatim from a piece of paper. Now, it's important to remember that anytime we're nervous or excited, we have a tendency to talk faster. A great presentation is great in part because what you are saying, the actual message, can be understood by the audience. But if you're talking 100 miles an hour and never taking a breath and your sentences all run together, nobody can understand what you're saying. Slow down. When you're talking 100 miles an hour, never taking a breath, nobody knows what you're saying. Those key points you want to make Go in one ear and out the other. Your audience never has a chance to digest what you're sharing or weigh the power of your words. When those important points get missed, the audience walks away no better off than before you started speaking. That never gets you invited back to speak again. 
Now, this is where practice, again, can be invaluable. And as you're practicing, you can practice your presentation with a specific cadence or rhythm. If you know you've got a 20-minute slot to fill, you can rehearse your presentation so that you're on time every time before you ever set foot on the stage. So even if you're a bit excited when you get started, your mental muscle memory from having practiced that speech over and over is going to quickly kick in, and you're going to find yourself returning to that cadence or that rhythm you've gotten comfortable sharing, and all of a sudden you've filled the allotted time, not too early and not too late. Now, by slowing down, you also give yourself an opportunity to think and to process what you're saying. And it does the same thing for the audience. There may be people in the room that are taking notes and wanting to write down your important points. If you never slow down and give their hands an opportunity to catch up with your words, you're going to leave them behind, and they're going to feel like they don't matter to you. Now, slowing down and being intentional about the words you're going to say can also keep you from going off script and rambling, which is a surefire way to get lost in a presentation. Now, don't be afraid of pauses. There is great power in a pause. Three seconds of silence can seem like three minutes if you've got the audience engaged and they're hanging on a compelling personal story. You see this all the time in TV and in movies. They get you all spun up, emotionally charged, and just when you're at this moment of suspense, what do they do? They break to a commercial. Or, like in the old Batman TV series, Batman and Robin have been captured by a penguin or the Riddler or somebody, and you think they're about to meet their doom, and then what happens? Join us, same bat time, same bat channel for the exciting conclusion. They leave you hanging. Guess what that is? It's a pause. Good speakers use pauses as an anchoring tool. They use it to build suspense or anticipation with their audience. So think about this. You're telling an engaging story, and just before you get to the dramatic conclusion, you pause. Those three seconds can seem like an eternity as the audience is emotionally being stirred, wondering if the hero won, if you were able to achieve the goal or objective, or if you lost. You're making an important or critical point, and you pause to give the audience time to absorb a life lesson you've learned that changed your life and could change theirs. What I like to refer to as a pregnant pause can leave the audience in suspense or leave them in anticipation, and that can be extremely powerful when you're tying it to a critical or emotional point that you're trying to make. Now think about this. You pose a thought-provoking question, and then you pause. Why? You want to give the audience time to answer the question in their mind. This is a powerful tool of connection and engagement that speakers use to their advantage. Now, you can also use a speech to give you an opportunity to hydrate, even as the audience is giving thought to what's going to come next. How is this story going to end? Is it going to end on a high note or a low note? Pausing can have a great impact when you're emphasizing a key point and you're emotionally connecting with the audience. 
if you go quiet for a moment, take a long, deep breath, or a sip of water, the audience is going to wait. Now, another important area that you've got to work on to make public speaking dynamic and much more effective is to remember you're there to speak, not to whisper, and not to yell. You want to make sure you open your mouth, and you want to speak clearly and distinctly so that you can be heard. You want to project your voice in such a way that you're going to come across as bold, confident, and sure. But remember this. If your audience can't hear you because you've gotten so soft, they can't hear what you're saying. Nobody's going to benefit from what they can't hear. So if you're telling a funny story or you're telling a joke and you're talking so fast or you're talking so loud or you're talking so soft, nobody hears it, don't be surprised if they don't laugh. Now, let me also mention here that learning the nuances of pitch and tone and volume can be huge in connecting with the audience. My speaking coach reminds me often that sameness is the death of a speaker. It's okay to be louder at times to be softer at others, to be much more excited and animated at certain times, and at other times more calm and subdued. The story you're telling and the point you're making should dictate the changes in pitch and tone and volume and how you're interacting with the audience and moving the energy of the room up and down so that the audience stays engaged. Those little subtle shifts in tone and pitch and volume can leave you in a position of taking the audience with you in the ups and the downs of the journey you want to take them on. It also avoids the Bueller scenario of becoming that monotone, boring speaker that nobody wants to hear. Now, when you're speaking, you want to make sure you're going to be heard. You want to be genuine. You want to be passionate about what you're sharing, but you want to make sure that you're speaking in a tone that people can actually hear. Also important to remember is we as human beings are emotional creatures. And anytime you're speaking, there needs to be an emotional element to your speech. Humor can be a very powerful connection tool, especially if it's done correctly. One of the best types of humor you can use is self-deprecating humor, making fun of yourself in some way, because that's something usually everybody can chuckle with. And if you can laugh at yourself, others feel okay laughing along with you. So if you're going to tell a story, it's a good place to insert a bit of humor, making fun of yourself in some way, and really connecting yourself with an audience. You know, people love a good story. So when you can take them on a journey with you, you're going to connect them in a special way. And as long as the story you're selling is going to relate to what you're speaking about, the specific point you're trying to make, it's okay to take them on a journey of discovery with you. Remember, telling a story is going to engage them emotionally. It's going to take them with you somewhere and it's going to allow them to experience something that you've learned in a personal and intimate way. Some of the very best speakers that I know and that I love to listen to on a regular basis are dynamic, powerful storytellers. And stories are important for a reason. They are built into the DNA of our species. It's how we learn. It's how we pass on our lineage and history. It's how we share life with those around us. 
Think back to the early developmental years of your life. You probably sat in your grandmother or grandfather or mom and dad's lap, and what did they do? They read you stories. They told you stories. And years, even decades later, we still remember those stories because they're emotionally engaging, and our minds are hardwired to remember stories. And the last thing I'll say on this when it comes to humor and emotion is this. Information without entertainment becomes boring very quickly. Now, you want to pay attention to your audience. Again, another reason to practice and be comfortable so that as you're speaking, you can pay attention to what's going on in the dynamic of the audience around you. You want to gauge their interest in reactions. If you see people nodding and agreeing, you want to acknowledge that, pulling them into the conversation with you. If the audience is fading, you want to transition to a story. You want to do something to lift the energy of the room. Maybe it's giving them a quip or a quote or asking them to tell something to their neighbor sitting to their left or to their right and getting them to engage in some way that pulls them back in to the presentation. Now, again, this is where your pitch and your tone and your volume and your nonverbals can help the energy in the room from flatlining. Also important to watch for feedback if individuals in the room are taking notes or you make a statement and you get these looks of confusion. If you see that, it's okay to go back and repeat those important points that you want people to remember because repeating those important points gives individuals taking note an opportunity to write those important notes down. And if you share an important note and you tie that back and anchor it with a story or a quote or a visual, it gives the note takers time to finish their note taking and to stay caught up with what you're sharing. Now, the makeup of every audience is going to be different. Sometimes you're going to have an engaged, exciting audience hanging on every word. Other times, and I've experienced this, you're going to go into an audience and you're thinking, dear Lord, why am I here? These people have no interest in what I'm sharing. But sometimes an audience just is not going to emotionally engage. It happens. Other times people are going to be hanging on every single word that you have to say. And sometimes your message just isn't going to click. That's okay. Remember. As a leader, you're there to challenge the status quo, to change things for the better, and you're there to deliver the content that you've been asked. How the audience responds is going to differ with every single audience. Now, also important to remember that if you're there to speak on a controversial topic or a topic that may challenge someone's views or opinions or beliefs, not everybody is going to be open to immediately receive what you have to say. Be prepared for that and understand that's okay. Now, if you're sharing something controversial that people don't agree with, you're going to have to dismiss the furrowed eyebrows. You're going to have to dismiss the cross-armed, and you're going to have to focus your attention on the people that are visibly engaged, that are enjoying your presentation, and nodding yes at the words that you're saying. And it's okay to acknowledge that there are those in the audience that may not agree with what you're sharing, and that's okay. You simply want to challenge them to listen with an open mind, and then they can make up their own decision at the end of the presentation. Remember, not everyone is going to be a fan of everything you've got to say, and sometimes the message simply isn't going to resonate with everybody in the room. Your job is there to deliver your message with passion. 
the audience is going to process what you say. They're going to draw their own conclusions for good, for bad, or for other. So as long as you're delivering your goods with integrity, you're seeking to add value to the audience, you've done what's been asked on you. Now, it's also important to remember how you open your presentation is going to set the tone for how your speech is going to be received. You don't want to walk out and start your speech with, hello, my name is John, and I'm going to talk about X, Y, Z. That doesn't capture anybody's attention, and it sounds like you're there to deliver some canned response. Instead, you want to do something to capture the audience's attention on the front end. What did I do on the front end of this presentation? I talked about the fact that 75% of Americans are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. I shared a statistic. You could open with a question. You could open with your own stat. You could share an anecdote, or you could share a concise quotation. But remember, whatever you're going to say to open your remarks, you want your first words to grab the audience's attention, to get them to lean in, and to get excited to hear what's coming next. Now, if you're going to use images, such as a PowerPoint presentation, props, or other visuals, you want to use them sparingly. Any presentation materials that you are going to use, remember, they are an extension of you, and they should complement, not detract from your message. You want to make sure that if you're doing a presentation, it's aesthetically pleasing. It has a professional look and feel. It's not overly gaudy or not overly bold that takes away from your presentation or takes people away from looking at you as the expert. You want your visuals to support, not to replace you as the expert. So you want to make sure if you're using graphics, use those sparingly and make sure that the focus and the emphasis is on you. Now, if you are going to use images, you want to make sure that the audience can see the images you're going to share. So maybe you're sharing statistics as part of what you do. If it's a large room, you want to consider not using a line graph because line graphs with small print may not be able to be seen from the back of the room. Maybe in those scenarios, rather than using a line graph, you use a pie chart, or a bar chart, a larger visual image that people can see, not only in the front of the room, but in the back of the room. <laughs> and let me tell you from experience, because there have been a number of times when the PowerPoint didn't work, the clicker quit working, audio or video that we were going to play, all of a sudden, the, the crazy gremlins showed up and technology didn't work. You want to rehearse and test your equipment ahead of time and always have a plan B so that if your presentation isn't going to present, you can present without it. Another good reason to practice and not to be solely reliant on a visual to get you through your presentation. Also important that you turn your nervousness into excitement. Now, remember, it's not just speakers who get nervous. Professional athletes, musicians, anybody that engages with the public in any type of major world-class activity is going to get nervous. The people that walk onto the stage to present on Broadway, they get nervous before every presentation. Nervousness is to be expected. It's okay. This is how the body prepares itself to perform at a next level of success. 
Good presenters turn nervousness into excitement. They understand that this is the body's way of gearing itself up to perform at a higher level. If you've got sweaty hands or an increased heartbeat, accept that and embrace it because an increased heartbeat means that more oxygen is pumping through your body. That's going to increase your focus and awareness. It's going to heighten your senses to be more aware of what's going on in your audience. It's going to increase your muscle tone, giving you the ability to be more engaging in the presentation, and it's going to give you the boost you need to project your voice to those you're speaking to. It's one of the reasons when people come out early in the presentation, you'll often hear them say how excited they are at having the opportunity to speak to the audience. What are they doing? They're mentally affirming the nervousness that they're experiencing, and they're telling their body it's okay to use that as excitement and to use it to their advantage. Even the biggest name speakers get nervous before they step on the stage. It's normal. It's okay. It's to be expected. Nervousness can be one of your greatest allies if you turn it into excitement. Now, I've touched on it before, but I want to remind you of this again. You need to make sure that you practice what you're going to deliver so that you can present with confidence before your audience. If you're reading directly from a script or a slideshow and that becomes your support mechanism, it's going to appear to the audience that you're simply delivering a canned presentation and you're not the authority figure or the expert that you've been introduced at. This is not a position that you want to find yourself in if you want to truly engage with the audience and to be seen as an authority figure or an expert or someone that is there to add value to the audience. If all you're doing are reading the words from a page or the lines from a PowerPoint presentation, you are not seen as a professional. So here's a tip. When you're practicing your speech, don't write it out verbatim, even though you may be tempted to do so. Create an outline of the main points that you want to share, and then add some small bullet points underneath each of those main points to cue you to a story, a statistic, a quote, or whatever it is that you want to share. Here's what I do know because I've seen other speakers do this. If they write every word out, they have a tendency to want to take that script onto the stage with them, and then as they're sharing, they tend to want to look down and make sure they haven't missed something, and the next thing you know, they're reading from the script, and they're not engaging with the audience. And here's something else about reading from a script. When you read from a script, it's all too easy to shift into that monotone style of speaking that literally puts the audience to sleep. Now, there are a couple of exceptions when it's okay to read from a speech. Let me share with you when those are. Number one, when delivering a eulogy. If you're delivering a eulogy, it's okay to write down every word and every thought in detail. Why? Because if you're delivering a eulogy at a funeral or a memorial service, this can be a difficult time for you and the other people in the audience. You as a speaker, especially if you knew the individual, you're dealing with your own emotions. At the same time, you've been asked to communicate with the audience and share in an effective and heartfelt way. So if you're having to deliver a eulogy, let me share a couple of tips. Number one, limit your speech to cover just two or three main points. Let me tell you right now, because I've delivered a number of eulogies over the years, it's impossible to sum up an individual's life in just a few minutes. 
So I'm going to tell you from experience, don't even try to do so. Don't worry about telling their entire life story. Instead, pick out one or two key stories that relate to you on a personal level and can relate to those in the audience that knew this individual. They want to hear you share a meaningful story, a personal story, an anecdote, or a quote from that individual that speaks to how they lived life and how they influenced you in some way. The other important thing when you're delivering a eulogy is to make your message inspiring. Everybody there is dealing with grief. And if you can help the audience look at the occasion and remember the warmness, the lightheartedness, bring a smile to their face as you share a heartfelt memory of that individual, you're giving them fuel to get through the grieving process and remember that individual as they wanted to be remembered. Now, another area where it may be important to have more of a canned speech is if you're accepting an award. You know, how many times have I watched the Oscars or the Emmys or another award show to watch some of the, quote, best actors and actresses be recognized for their achievements on stage, and they get in front of a live audience, and they get flustered, they get tongue-tied, and they have difficulty even saying thank you for an award. And these people are supposed to be expert speakers. Impromptu speaking can be some of the most difficult types of speech to give. So here's a tip from Toastmasters if you have to accept an award. Number one, show your personality. Your acceptance speech should come from your heart. Be yourself. That's why you won the award. Number two, be gracious. Acknowledge the work that's been done by the team as well as competitors and thank the organization that selected you to receive the award. There were other candidates that could be chosen, but they chose you. Use this opportunity to also compliment those who didn't win the award. Now, you do want to show some excitement because the last thing you want to do is being recognized as an award and not showing graciousness and excitement over being selected as the individual that was the person selected from a group of your peers. You don't have to jump up and down and scream and yell, but you do want to show some emotion that you're truly grateful for being recognized. But at the same time, don't forget to be modest. Your speech should be heartfelt, but you shouldn't make it all about you. Now, when you're introducing an individual, this again is another opportunity to make sure that you have gotten a written speech down. And this is where it's one of those times that it's okay to go with what's written on a sheet of paper. Because when you're introducing another speaker, remember this, it's not about you. It's an opportunity for you to put the individual that you're introducing, that speaker that's coming behind you, to put them in a comfortable, confident position as an authority figure, as an expert, as a leader, or as a star, and you're setting the audience's expectation in advance. It's your opportunity as the individual making the introduction to set them up for a successful speech. So if you've been asked to do an introduction, let me share a couple of tips here. Number one, don't steal the show. Keep your introduction to 60 to 90 seconds at most and speak only on topics that are related to the speaker. 
Any other announcements that you may want to make need to be made at the end of the ceremony or at the end of the speech. Now, again, just like opening with a quote or a quip or something to grab the audience's attention, you can use that same leverage when you're doing an introductory speech. You can grab the audience's attention with a humorous anecdote, an impressive milestone about that speaker, or an inspiring quote that someone has shared about having heard this individual speak and the impact it's made on their life. Now, you don't want to give away the secret sauce of what they're going to speak, but you do want to highlight some of their attributes and some of their qualifications, setting the stage for what the audience is going to hear and creating that expectation they're going to hear from an authority or an expert in the subject matter that's about to be presented. And regardless of the type of speech that you're doing, when allowed, you want to make sure that you say thank you to your audience. If you're speaking from a stage and the venue allows, you can leave your audience with a thank you gift. Maybe it's a white paper or access to a free video or some training that you have. If you can leave a gift with the audience, it demonstrates that you're there to add value beyond the speech that you're making, and you're saying thank you to those in attendance for their time in giving the opportunity to hear you speak. Again, it can be a white paper. It could be a checklist. It could be a video training you put together or some other gift that you can bestow upon the audience. But even if you can't leave them with a thank you gift, don't forget to thank the audience for their time and for their attention. If they gave you their applause, acknowledge that. Thank them for being in the room and thank them for the opportunity you had to share your insights and thank them for investing in themselves for being there. The more value you can add to the audience, the more you as the speaker are going to be appreciated. And with that, I want to practice what I teach. So I want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join me for this very special training on public speaking. I trust that you found this time of value and that you've gained some newfound insights into how to become more confident as a speaker and your ability to deliver an exceptional performance. Whether you're speaking on a stage one-to-one, one-to-two, one-to-twenty, one-to-two-hundred, or one-to-two-thousand. Now, my goal every time I teach and train is to leave you with some nuggets that are going to help you to grow, to improve, and to become a better version of yourself. Remember, as I said at the beginning of this presentation, you're speaking on a stage every single day. It may be with your spouse. It may be with your children. It may be with coworkers, employees, employer. It may be vendors. It may be a Zoom call. It may be a physical or digital stage. But regardless of the number of people, I want to encourage you to take what I've shared today and add it to what you're already doing and continue to hone your skills to become a more dynamic and a much more effective speaker. I believe that some of the insights I've shared today are going to be valuable tips and tools to help you become more confident and have the ability to speak much more fluidly, much more dynamically, and have the opportunity to be invited back. Now, for those who want to go deeper or perhaps want to make a living as a public speaker, I do offer additional training on public speaking. 
that's a separate venue from this, but I did want to mention that. So if that's of interest, please feel free to contact me through my website, theablackbeltleader.com, or connect with me through any of my social media platforms. And of course, my goal in working with you today is to help you not just be a more confident speaker, but to learn to become a black belt master at public speaking. After all, each and every one of us want to live life with black belt excellence as we discover, develop, and deploy our own unique black belt leader within, and learning to be a more effective speaker is one of the ways that you can make that happen. Now, I quickly, as we wrap up, I want to say thank you to our sponsors who made today's training possible, Vision Advisors, Hall of Fame Financial, Rocket Fuel Design, the International Martial Arts Council of America, the United States Martial Arts Hall of Fame, and Real Life Management. I'm John Terry, the Black Belt Leader, and I want to say thank you for joining me. If we haven't already connected, I encourage you to visit my website, beablackbeltleader.com. There you can subscribe to my free blog. You can actually, while you're there, you can go connect with and follow me on Anchor.com, where I put out a weekly podcast, again, free of charge, an opportunity to continue your own personal growth journey. And while you're there on the Contact Us page, you'll find links to all of the social media platforms where I'm regularly sharing tips, tools, insights, and pearls of wisdom to allow you to continue to discover, develop, and deploy your own unique black belt leader within. I want to say thank you once again for taking time out of your busy day to be with me today. I wish you a great day. Go continue to make a difference. And don't just be a leader. Be a black belt leader. Have a great day.